Do you remember when you wanted to say that Vladimir Putin is no longer in his prime, but instead of spring chicken, you said not a chicken spring anymore? <laughs> yes, because in Romanian adverbs go after the noun like they do in most Romance languages. So while talking fast, my brain does that in English too sometimes. Well, we got a surprise because in this episode, we're going to talk about uh, many things, but there is a coronation chicken. So I suppose we're going to have chicken coronation. <laughs> Hi, Neil, and hello again to our favorite people, our dubious fam. Hey, Sandra. Hello, everybody. Today we're talking about the coronation of Britain's future king, currently Charles, Prince of Wales. Sandra is obsessed with these royals. So she has practically obliged me to do this episode, but I got to admit, once you get into uh, these ceremonies and the regal trinkets and things like that, it kind of, it starts to grow on you like mold. Oh, please. <laughs> I sharpen your tongue, mister. You're enjoying these crown-related episodes too, I can tell. I just think you don't want to admit it as you think it's a girly thing or something. Well, we don't want our friends down at the pub, so to speak, to know that, uh, you know, I might be uh, reading about pearls and sapphires and diamonds and what all else they use for the crown jewels or what is in the actual anointing oil. Uh, apparently it's got orange oils in it or chicken coronation. No grown man needs to know these things. So. <laughs> you said it the other way around, too. See, you said chicken all right. In 1937, the 11-year-old Princess Elizabeth had watched her father, King George VI, crowned in the elaborate ceremony. And 16 years later, on the 2nd of June, 1953, her own coronation was to take place. Now, Prince Charles will become king and William will be watching his father's coronation. Yes, interesting fact. Prince Charles was the first child to witness his mother's coronation as sovereign. Princess Anne, his sister, did not attend the ceremony as she was considered too young. And he received a special hand-painted children's invitation to his mother's coronation. And yes, Charles's coronation is already planned because the British royals do not like leaving things to chance. Coronations don't happen too often and they are state events, rare and very important occasions. So the world will be watching, literally. And there are binders and binders of paperwork on Charles's coronation ceremony, which has been cut named Operation Golden Orb. A bit over the top, no? <laughs> of course it's over the top as it should be. It's a royal coronation, a new king. It's an over the top occasion, right? I'm all for over the top. It's supposed to be like that. Stop putting sticks in my wheels and let's get into it. Okay. About Charles's coronation plan, source told the Daily Mail back in February 22 that these plans are complex. The Golden Orb Committee used to meet twice a year, but now they're meeting much more frequently, sometimes once a month. Compared to the last coronation, there will be a lot less fuss. Last time, special green chairs were commissioned and guests were able to have them delivered to their homes afterward. You won't see that sort of thing this time. And quick question. Did you know that Prince Philip's funereal code name was Operation Fourth Bridge? And the Queen Mother had Tay Bridge and even Prince Charles has one. 
It's called Menai Bridge. He almost died, by the way, in an avalanche in the Swiss Alps with Diana. So the palace didn't know for a while if he is alive, but they are ready for whatever. I mean, thank the universe he was fine, but they do have a plan. Even What's for the him. fascination with bridges? The bridges represent like a passage to whatever comes next, which I think is nothing, but it's a nice symbol anyway. <laughs> <laughs> As for the less fast part, a less grand coronation this time, look, I get it. And at the same time, I also don't. Because I like fuss. I want this to be a massive pomp and pageantry event. You know, as massive as the Queen's was. But I also do understand the fact that you, you know, you want to keep costs down a bit. And unlike the Queen, who was 27 at her coronation, Charles will be well into his 70s when his coronation will happen. You know, who knows, maybe even older. And you have to consider the age of the person when you plan an hours-long ceremony. So age, yes, is also one of the reasons for which the coronation might be shorter. A mildly scaled-back coronation would still be mesmerizing to watch and very regal and beautiful. It's, you know, but it's understandable why they would want to scale it back. From what we know, it seems the ceremony will be shorter um, smaller, less expensive, and more representative of different community groups and faiths, which is nice. And the service itself will be slimmed down across the board. A royal observer said, quote, it will be a slimmed down monarchy on display throughout. I wouldn't be surprised to just see Charles and Camilla, Kate and William, and their children on the Buckingham Palace balcony afterwards. Yeah, they're the most important ones, I suppose. The royals that people want to actually see. And the ceremonies are so grand that, let's be honest, even a scaled-down one will still be majestic in many ways. Yes, and I'm all for it. I think one of the reasons people love this event is because of the magnificence, the splendor, and the grandiosity. So seeing how Charles is also elderly, I mean, he's 73 years old, what happens if he dies? Then Prince William, Duke of Cambridge, will accede to the throne because, you know, he's next in line. But about Operation Golden Orb, Prince Charles and Camilla are to be crowned side by side together. And I like that a lot. Camilla will become Queen Consort. And the last time the honor was bestowed was in 1937 when the Queen's mother sat alongside King George VI. Yeah, so when the Queen was crowned in 1953, no such honor was given to Prince Philip, who remained a prince after his wife's coronation. Over the course of British history, the husband of a queen has never held the title of king. Men who are married to British queens do not become king. They can only hold the title of prince consort. And Prince Philip knelt before his wife during her coronation and pledged to be her liege man of life and limb. I love that. (laughs) I am sympathetic. I've been beaten into submission uh, by Sandra, so... From a distance. (laughs) Guys, it's not true. I am being the nicest person ever. Anyway, so we talked about Operation London Bridge. What happens when the Queen dies in another one of our episodes? And in that case, the palace didn't deny the existence of such a plan. In the case of the coronation plans, they denied those specifics. But the press found out anyway, of course. And so... It's probably because it's good PR for the palace to give out this info secretly. I agree. It is good PR. I would do the same. The royal communications person said that the coronation ceremony has remained essentially the same over a thousand years. So in a way, if you've seen one, you've probably seen them all. But most of us have never seen one because they don't get killed in uh, like 
uh, lance jousting accidents anymore. So Charles being crowned king should be a uh, fairly exciting thing. It's going to be something most people have never seen before. Yes, Charles's coronation will likely take place at Westminster Abbey in London, the traditional spot for coronations for the past 900 years, and it will be conducted by the Archbishop of Canterbury, of course. And Charles will sit on King Edward's chair, which is the same chair going all the way back to 1296. That's actually a pretty cool detail. I'm going to look up this chair. I mean, can you imagine sitting in a 13th century chair? I would love that. But before we get to more coronation details, I think it's important to clarify that Charles will not be crowned immediately after the Queen's death. Most likely, it's going to be about a year before he gets crowned, but he will be proclaimed king the day after her death. So we will have a somber yet regal proclamation ceremony performed by the Garter King of Arms, Thomas Woodcock. We talked about him in Operation London Bridge. Mr. Woodcock's official salary of £49.7 has not been raised since the 1830s, and it's more of an honorary position, but yet very coveted. I mean, considering this guy gets £49 in 2022, the only saving grace he has is the name Woodcock. So uh, let's hope that that is a, uh, an apt description of Mr. Woodcock. <laughs> Aside from the royal family, Charles's coronation will be attended by royals from around the world, as well as representatives from the Houses of Parliament and leading citizens from Commonwealth countries. So like a royal wedding, but 10 times more Intense, I suppose, because it's not only a state event, it's an international event from a political and leadership perspective. Uh, Charles also wants to limit the guest list to 2,000 people. Yeah, and 2,000 might still seem like a lot, but for perspective, the Queen had 8,251 guests at her coronation. You know, but let's take a look at the coronation oath itself, shall we? The oath has changed a bit over the years, but here is what Queen Elizabeth literally said during her coronation. This is the oath she took. Uh, Neil, are you going to, can you play the Archbishop and I'm going to play the Queen, of course? Okay. Okay. Madam, is your majesty willing to take the oath? I am willing. Will you solemnly promise and swear to govern the peoples of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the Union of South Africa, Pakistan, and Ceylon, and your possessions and other territories to any of them belonging or pertaining according to their respective laws and customs? I solemnly promise to do so. Will you to your power, cause law and justice in mercy to be executed in all of your judgments. I will. Will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel? Will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain in the United Kingdom the Protestant Reformed religion established by law? Will you maintain and preserve inviolably the settlement of the Church of England and the doctrine worship discipline and government thereof as by law established in england and will you preserve unto the bishops and clergy of england and to the churches there committed to their charge all such rights and privileges as by law do or shall appertain to them or any of them i won't but the queen said i will but if i were in her shoes i probably would have said no 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 we're not doing the whole religion thing but <laughs> no see this is this is interesting though because this is a transfer of power to some degree you know the archbishop is conferring 
a power upon whoever is being anointed, and he has to do it. So. Yeah, because the new king will be the head of church. Yeah, they're over the archbishop as far as, you know, rank in the church or something. Yeah. Anyways, we all know that Prince Charles said he wants to be defender of all faiths, but traditionally the monarch is defensor fide, defender of the faith, uh, Christianity, specifically the Church of England. But Charles wants to be inclusive, both of all faiths and people who are not religious too. So we'll see if the oath will in any way be modified to reflect that, I suppose. Yes, yes. I think, I mean, this oath has not changed in many, many, many hundreds of years. So I feel like maybe some changes should be made there. On the other hand, it's hard to change something when that is the law for the, you yeah, know. Yeah, I'm not going to hold my, yeah. don't hold your breath on that. Yeah, so look, I think that even though some aspects of the service might be modified, it will remain an Anglican service with the vows not changing too much. And the coronation service was first, by the way, rewritten several years ago to bring the language up to date a little bit you know, and vastly shorten proceedings because they used to be very long. Similarly, the antiquated court of claims where the lords are invited to claim their right to be included in the coronation, that could also be scrapped. The court of claims last sat in late 1952 when it had to consider claims including those from the Lord High Steward of Ireland to carry a white wand, from a number of peers seeking to carry the great gold spurs and from the Duke of Somerset to carry the orb or scepter for the new queen. So basically there's a competition, right? Who's going to carry the scepter? Who's going to carry this or that for the ceremony? Now, after the coronation, Charles and Camilla are expected to honor the tradition of touring the major cities of the UK. Anyway, it is rumored that Prince Harry will probably not attend his father's coronation if the ceremony takes place at Westminster Abbey. There are sources saying he can't cope with being in the Abbey. Last time he was there was for his mom's funeral when Princess Diana died in 1997. Harry was just 12 years old then and William was 15. But unlike Harry, William has to be there as at that point he will be first in line for the throne, heir apparent, future king. So... Plus, there is the ongoing Cold War between the Sussexes, Harry and Meghan, and the rest of the royal family. Yeah, that too. The coronation ceremony might be scaled down, but Charles and Camilla are still going to ride in style to the coronation, by the way, in the gold coach. This is the part I wanted to get to, to be honest. Now, during the coronation, the newly crowned king and queen concert will be expected to travel in the gold coach. A team has been working on it to make some necessary and modernizing mechanical repairs, because this is an eight-horse drawn carriage, and it's very old. These coaches are very uncomfortable. They look stunning, but, you know, they're not the best ride. So, yeah, there was no four-wheel independent suspension like in, say, a, a Mercedes sedan in a 260-year-old coach made basically on a medieval design. So... The Gold Coach is a Georgian-era vehicle. It weighs four tons, is 24 feet long, and has not been used since the Queen rode in it to mark her Golden Jubilee in 2002. Unfortunately for the Platinum Jubilees pageant, she wasn't able to participate in all the ceremonies or be seen in the coach then either. Yes, not seen in flesh and blood. Instead, the palace came up with this brilliant idea. They somehow replaced the coach windows with TV screens, and you could see a young Queen Elizabeth waving from inside the coach. I think they used the images, you know, from her coronation, and there are people crying. It felt like a goodbye in a way. We're going to add the link to the video in the episode notes. This was a really cool moment, I thought. 
Yeah, it's a creative idea. Whoever came uh, up with that maybe deserves a raise if they're also making 49 <laughs> pounds uh, a year. So the gold coach was commissioned by King George III in 1760, and at the time it cost 7,562 pounds, which would be 1.6 million pounds today. It was, shall we say, built for style, not for comfort. The Queen was described the bone-rattling journey on her 1953 coronation as horrible. It's only sprung on leather, she said, and not very comfortable. The palace officials decided that some more modifications will be needed for Charles, who's 73, and Camilla, who's 74, and they both need back cushions when seated for a long time on official engagements anyway, so... They probably don't need to ride in such a uh, an ancient wooden contraption. <laughs> yes. And if you wonder where the gold coach is kept and the many other carriages too, well, at Buckingham Palace, the Royal Muse, not Muse like the band, but M-E-W-S, the Royal Muse is home to historic royal carriages and one of the finest working stables in existence. And by the way, I have been there and seen all these carriages and the horses, and it was fascinating. I know it might seem weird, but I think I spent at least 15-20 minutes staring at each carriage, analyzing like the detail, and I loved it. Knowing that I will at some point see these carriages on TV again, like they will be used again. They look like from fairy tales from a Disney cartoon. I mean... I don't know. I loved it. And the official royal cars, they're also there on display unless they're being used at the moment, of course. And the best part, the horses. They have majestic horses there. And I love horses. And I love that stable smell as well. This was one of my favorite places in London, to be honest. You know, this reminds me. And I would be picturing myself as a highway robber if I visited this place, (laughs) like Falstaff or something. But... Uh, This reminds me that uh, George Washington's favorite play that he used to go and see every time it came to America, his favorite British play, was a uh, kind of satirical opera about highway robbers. So, (laughs) yes, I think there's a lot to read into that. He loved it. Could not get enough of the play about highway robbers. But in any case, the Royal Muse at Buckingham Palace is a real working stables in the heart of London. Uh, with all the royal history that goes along with, and Sandra is obsessed, <laughs> I can see, including the horses, yes, as we the apparently horses. call we them. We call them the horses. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know what I always say, right? You can ignore your trauma and hope it disappears, but the only way forward is to deal with it. Life keeps throwing curveballs at all of us. Fireballs, speedballs, too many balls. (laughs) And when you're overwhelmed, you're not at your best and it affects your interactions with the people you care about. So how do you deal with it all? Call your therapist like I do. Yes, Duby friends, I'm a BetterHelp happy customer. I've been using their services since way before we even started this podcast. I can attest to the fact that Sandra is, uh, shall we say, a much lovelier person to be around. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. Also, my therapist will love hearing that. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, it's affordable, it's flexible, and most importantly, it's entirely online. And you'll get 10% off of your first month if you sign up at betterhelp.com dubious 
or just click that link in the episode notes. Yes, and then you can talk to your therapist whenever and however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. So do yourself a favor, take care of your mental health, because when you feel empowered, you are prepared to take on everything life throws at you. Visit BetterHelp.com dubious to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash dubious. The Royal Muse is also responsible for all road travel arrangements for the Queen and members of the Royal Family, from horse and carriage to car and from livery to harness. So basically the uh, Royal Family's Uber service, and I guess they got to make sure they don't run into Falstaff and uh, get highway robbed, like by a Flintock and a rapier too, yes. Yes, like Uber, but much better actually. You know, like I feel that as uncomfortable as they might be, these coaches, I mean, I would ride in one. I don't care if my bum is going to hurt for three days. I'm willing to take that risk. And... Now let's talk a little bit about the crown jewels, which is one of my favorite parts for this episode. So the St. Edward's crown was made in 1661, and it will be placed on the head of the king during the coronation service. It weighs 4 pounds and 12 ounces and is made of solid gold and 44 gemstones, including rubies, garnets, sapphires, and tourmalines. It was originally made for the coronation of Charles II in 1661 to replace the medieval crown that was melted down in 1649 after the execution of King Charles I. And it is now stored safely in the Tower of London, and it's only taken out for royal coronations. Did you see it? Do you even have to ask? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I did. And the way it works is that they allow a certain number of people in that room, and then they see the crown jewels, then they walk out to the next part of the tour of the Tower of London. And what I did, because I am obsessed, I went out and back on the outside with the next group, and out and back again with the next group like three times, until the guards started looking at me like very intensely, and then I actually went out and like continued with the tour. It's the exact same <laughs> vibe at the book depository building downtown here in Dallas, where you get to go see where John Kennedy was shot from. You go in with a small group and you're allowed to look and then you have to walk out and then the next small group goes. There's a lot to uh, read in to the psychology of each country here, I think. But (laughs) um, anyways, about the orb. After the crown, the orb, also made in 1661, is the most important piece of regalia. It's a globe of gold surrounded by a cross girded by a band of diamonds, emeralds, rubies, sapphires, and pearls, with a large amethyst at the summit. The orb has been a Christian symbol of authority since the Middle Ages, and a reminder that the monarch's power is derived from the divine right of kings, according to the monarchs. The coronation ring, known as the Wedding Ring of England, because, you know, the monarch's first duty is not family but country, they basically marry, in a way, the country, 
So the wedding ring of England will be placed on the king's fourth finger of his right hand in accordance with tradition. This ring was made for the coronation of King William IV in 1831. Uh, William himself commissioned the British jeweler Randell, Bridge and Randell to create the symbolic sapphire ring with baguette cut rubies in the form of a cross across the face. And the rubies represent the cross of St. George for England and the sapphires represent the Scottish flag. Now, the wedding ring of England has been worn at every coronation since then, except of Queen Victoria's, whose fingers were so small that the ring could not be reduced far enough in size. So an alternative was created, and we talked about this alternative ring. It was made for the wrong finger. I think the jewelers had too much wine. (laughs) (laughs) And in 1831, King William IV also commissioned the Queen's concert ring for his wife Adelaide, with a pinkish red ruby and diamonds. Queen Elizabeth's mother wore this ring at King George VI's coronation, and Camilla will likely wear the ring during the ceremony. Prince Charles will also probably wear his signet ring on his left pinky finger, which is his power piece and almost never comes off. It dates back 175 years and was last worn by his uncle, the Duke of Windsor, who was the Prince of Wales before he ascended to the throne. It's not just Prince Charles who is wearing a signet ring. While the style is often considered, you know, like a gentleman's ring, royal women do wear it too. Princess Diana wore a signet ring given to her by Charles before their wedding, and Meghan Markle and Camilla, Duchess of Cornwall, both have their own symbolic signet rings. Naturally, it's a style that's been prevalent in royal families for centuries, But it's especially symbolic to Prince Charles, who was given his signet ring by his mother when she gave him the title of Prince of Wales. Now, the jewel is engraved with a crown with feathers and the phrase Ich Din, which translates to I serve, a reminder of his service to the country. And since marrying Camilla, he's worn it stacked with his wedding band, just as his wife does with hers. And if you wonder why the I serve words are in German, it's because the Windsor's real family name is Germanic. The House of Windsor, as we know it today, began in 1917 when the family changed its name from the German Saxe Coburg Gotha, because the Saxe Coburg Gothas succeeded the House of Hanover to the British monarchy with the accession of King Edward VII, son of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert of Saxe Coburg and Gotha. But because of anti-Germanic sentiment during World War I in the United Kingdom, they decided to be Windsor instead. Which is probably a wise choice, uh, because, well... I would say so, yeah. It turns out they were not (laughs) done with the Germans then either, so... (laughs) Yes. So about the signet ring, you don't have to be a royal or marry into an aristocratic family to get your own family crest or coat of arms. The Rebus Jewelry Store in London has stacks of old books with family crests and symbols that anyone can adopt. The Rebus team will even track down a similar likeness to your family name or origins and engrave it on gold or silver rings But if you're not a duke or earl or count, I mean, I suppose, but this seems silly to me. Yes, agreed. I mean, if you're not royalty, pretending you are, it's not going to make you royalty. And look, I don't like signet rings unless they're the real thing. I don't even like how they look. If I see a regular dude shopping at the grocery store with a signet ring on his pinky finger, I'm like, eh. I mean, I'll know two things. Narcissistic and egomaniac personality because it's weird and 
it will be a warning sign, really. Plus, I am not a fan of gold jewelry on men unless they are royalty in this tradition. Like, gold on men, I for some reason, it just... Ugh, I don't know. It's a bit creepy. Let's talk about sandals. Oh, my God. Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, I'm okay with sandals on men on vacation, right? It's fine if you're on vacation and you're going to the beach and stuff. But wearing sandals, and even worse, I've seen men with sandals and socks. Uh, that is... If you know, look, if here's, a, a, here's a story, people. Uh, you don't know how much I've been oppressed. So, oh, I mean, Sandra and I have seen each other at the dog park before she moved out of this state for, I mean, what, every other day for months and months and months. Yes. I wear my sandals to the dog park because, of course, I do. It's the dog park. I'm not trying to get more clothes dirty than I would otherwise get. I'm going to get slobbered on by a dog. <laughs> and after months of doing a podcast and months of seeing each other at the dog park, Sandra informs me that uh, my sandals means that uh, I am never going to get laid because uh, the sandals are a, uh, like a crime against fashion. And I'm thinking, really? You know? <laughs> So it's not a, it's not necessarily about the crime against fashion. I'm not a very fashionable person. I dress really normal. It's it's just a matter of like and at the dog park I guess it's fine, but like I don't know. Men in sandals and especially <laughs> at least you're not wearing sandals with socks cuz that would be but if there if there ever was, you know, if they need birth control, like men in sandals is the best birth control <laughs> like <laughs> I wear sandals so much that my feet have tan lines on them. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to say anything anymore because we've had this discussion. Back to our coronation and the crown jewels, which are uh, a bit more fabulous than sandals with uh, tan lines underneath, I suppose. <laughs> At the heart of the ceremony is the moment when the Archbishop of Canterbury blesses, anoints, and consecrates Prince Charles and then hands him the sovereign scepter. Wait, wait, wait. Before we talk about the scepter, please tell us about the anointing oil recipe you mentioned. Okay. So the anointing oil, we know the recipe. It contains oils of orange, roses, cinnamon, musk, and ambergris. Usually a batch is made to last a few coronations. I mean, this is dubious in itself, but anyways... But in May 1941, a bomb hit the deanery, destroying the vial, so a new batch was made. And from what I gathered, this oil becomes more aromatic with time. I suppose that's the main motivation, but it seems to me if you make it, you know, you make, it's like, oh, we need to make a lot. We're going to save some for later. For what? We're not going to have another one of these for like 50 <laughs> years. I think it's more like a, the older it is, the more quote-unquote magic around it or something i don't know like it, it's a tradition that they do you know and i think it might make sense that after a while it smells better and better you know like yes. those aromatic oils i don't know but we don't know the exact 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 recipe right like how much of that how much of the other oil no, no that's a, a guarded secret but uh we got a bit i suppose it smells nice but really only two people know this yes that's what, see this is why it's fascinating and this is why we don't know the recipe because we are curious they make us curious it works. The strategy works. Now, on to the scepter. The scepter represents the crown's power and governance, and it was originally made for Charles II's coronation in 1661. 
The same one has been used in every coronation since, but it became weightier in 1910 when King George V added the magnificent Cullinan diamond to the scepter. The original Cullinan diamond, a 3,106 carat stone, unearthed in South Africa in 1905, was a gift to King Edward VII from the Transvaal government to help smooth relations between Britain and South Africa after the Boer War. The king had the rough diamond cut into nine significant stones and 96 smaller diamonds. After the Cullinan I, the second largest, the Cullinan II, was set in the imperial state crown. But not all the regalia is so ornate. The archbishop will adorn Prince Charles with two gold armels, one on each wrist, which are symbolic of the monarch's bond with the people. The simple gold bangles, lined with red velvet, and were made by Gerard for Queen Elizabeth's coronation. Following the service, Prince Charles will likely return to Buckingham Palace wearing the imperial state crown and waving to the crowns from the balcony with the rest of the main royals. A small thing I forgot to mention about the crown, by the way. It is the most famous crown, so the crown, you know, the coronation one. It's the most famous because Queen Elizabeth wore it on numerous occasions. You know, it's the one that everybody recognizes. And even people who don't know anything about the British monarchy, if they see that crown in a picture or on TV, they, immediately they recognize it. And over the past few years, the crown was placed on a velvet pillow beside Her Majesty when she addressed Parliament due to the Queen's age. I mean, that's a heavy crown to wear at any age, but once you pass 90, I mean, I get it. Henry IV was more practical. He would just put like a uh, a wet rag on his head and put the crown over that. So you look like an idiot, but comfortable. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> it kept him cool. Yes. Unlike a royal wedding, where the security costs are met by the taxpayer and the cost of the ceremony is met by the family, a coronation is funded by the government. It is estimated that the 1953 coronation cost £1.57 million, the equivalent of £46 million today. But we know that this coronation will be much cheaper, since it was actually Charles's wish that any celebration should be considered a, quote, good value. Now, the palace paid particular attention to the Platinum Jubilee celebrations, and they saw what the vibe, you know, the relationship between the crown and the country was. And in all honesty, the feeling was one of happiness and joy and love for the monarchy. I mean, people went to the streets in huge, huge numbers celebrating, and, you know, they love their queen. But there was a sense of sadness that people had to say goodbye soon. Like, it also felt like a goodbye, I said earlier, yeah. Yeah. According to the Daily Mail, a palace source said, the thinking is similar to that of Edward VII's coronation. At that point, it had been such a long time since his mother, Queen Victoria, had been crowned. And when Edward came to the throne, they used the late Queen's Diamond Jubilee celebrations as a sort of guide. Yeah, hence the scaling down that will happen now. You know, they're, they're looking at more recent celebrations, and I think that makes sense. It's not the 1950s, it's not the 18th century anymore, so either way there will be a big change though. When Charles becomes king, he will change the royal insignia and he will put his own stamp on the reign by changing the designs of everything from mailboxes to police uniforms. I don't know how long it will take me to get used to the Tudor crown design because that's what he's going to replace the current design with. Yeah, that's going to be weird. Uh, the royal insignia currently features the queen's ER second for Elizabeth Regina II. But Charles prefers the Tudor crown design, which is a bit simpler with the sides of the crown falling straight down rather than the more upwards crown associated with the Queen's reign. 
but a return to the use of the Tudor crown insignia will be a nice homage and link to Charles's grandfather, King George VI, who used the Tudor crown design during his reign. Yes, now you can tell us about the chicken coronation, please. I think it's fair to say we've all been waiting for the chicken coronation part. So the original <laughs> coronation chicken was invented by writer Constance Spry and the founder of the famous Le Cordon Bleu Cookery School, Rosemary Hume, while preparing the banquet of the coronation of the Queen in 1953. Constance Spry, who was also an educator and a florist, proposed a recipe of cold chicken in a curry cream sauce with well-seasoned dressed salad of rice, green peas, and mixed herbs. And the dish was a massive hit because the British are bad at food. That sounds awful. I mean, cold chicken? Have you tried it? No, you do not eat cold chicken or you're going to get salmonella. No, cold. Okay, so this is going in all the wrong ways that I never imagined. <laughs> so first of all, <laughs> first of all, cold chicken does not equal raw chicken. You don't get salmonella from cold chicken meal if it's cooked, but it's cold. Look, I'm not a great cook, but I would try this. Do we have the original traditional recipe? Yes, we're going to put it in the episode notes. Now I'm hungry. I want chicken coronation, despite your <laughs> you reluctance. You can have my share. <laughs> Yes, I really want chicken coronation. That's what I want. I want to thank our people here for listening and ask them to recommend us to their friends and family when they invite them over for a hopefully better uh, chicken coronation dinner. Let us know if you tried the recipe for cold chicken, I suppose. <laughs> Stop calling it that. It's coronation chicken. Chicken coronation, okay? We are at Dubious Pod on all of your social media apps. That's it. We love you guys. Bon appetit and see you next time. No cold chicken. <laughs> oh my God, Neil, just stop. <laughs>